explanation, you're going to find the word repent, the word believe, the word call, or the word receive. Those are, are the four Bible words. And you'll notice that in our church track, uh, we, we have one with a little picture of the church on the front sitting on a Bible. And if you open that track up, it, it has these four words and and what I just wanted us to do these several Sunday mornings is, is take some time as a church in our main worship service and, and examine these words. Because as I hope you have seen to this point, uh, there is a lot of overlap in these words. You cannot truly repent without believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, without calling upon His name, without receiving Him as your Savior. You, you cannot believe. Why would you call upon the name of the Lord is the title of this morning's message. Is the word we are looking at this morning is the word call. Why would you call upon the name of the Lord if you did not believe? And yet... Uh, uh, I remember uh, several years back, Easter Sunday, we had, uh, uh, it, it's hard to give this woman the title of professor, though she had that at uh, one of, it's either Harvard or Yale, and she released uh, the week before Easter a report claiming to have found the tomb of Jesus. Uh, and, and there was also a document there with an inscription on it that Jesus was the husband of Mary Magdalene. And, and this was supposed to uh, shake the faith of people and, and erode their faith in the Bible. Anybody that knew anything about this understood that she was nothing but a liar. The document had been proved fraudulent time and time again. Uh, the fact that someone had found the tomb with the name Jesus on it in the land of Galilee would be very similar to going to Mount Calvary Cemetery here and finding a grave with the name Smith on it or, or Jones or uh, uh uh, Rutabaker, or whatever other name you might want to choose, Jesus was a very common Jewish name. And so to, to do these things it is all that she was doing was trying to cast dispersion. And I tell that story because then we had some person, and, and I, I frankly do not have words to describe the uh, intellect that was involved here because there was none. Uh, he said, even if they found the tomb of Jesus, that wouldn't affect my faith. I'm sitting there going, wow. What kind of faith do you have, sir? My faith in Jesus depends on an empty tomb. Without an empty tomb, the Jesus of the Bible could not be who he said he was. Uh, and yet, I will tell you today, the tomb was empty. Uh, and that we have no, you have no need to be apologetic in any way for believing the words that are in this book called the Bible. No scientist, no truth... No fossil, no report that has ever been written by man has actually successfully 
or even begin to turn over or change one truth that is put out in this Bible. You can trust this book. You do not need to sit there and worry and wonder if your Bible is true. What you need to do is spend your time obeying it. Amen? And so, Romans chapter 10, we'll just start with verse 13 here and just read it. And I want you to follow along carefully in the Scriptures, if you would. It says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on in, on him, him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth, and their word unto the ends of the world. This morning, I'd like to look at what the Bible says about calling upon the name of the Lord. You know, in, in our day and time, this is almost taken on a mystical aspect. And, and it's gotten very confusing if you're, you're not careful. Uh, but the Bible is not a mystical book. The Bible is very concrete. I've had people say, well, the, uh, the Bible is not very logical. Well, you have to define logic. If, if you're saying that you do not understand the Bible because it doesn't make sense to you, I would agree. Uh, I've studied this Bible many, many years, and there's still passages I don't understand. And there are parts of this Bible God never intended for us to fully comprehend. Because there's a little word called faith involved. You see, God did not intend the Bible to make sense to you. He intended it to make sense to Him. Amen? It is His message, not yours. And to call upon the name of the Lord is very simply, it is to speak directly to the Lord. Uh, and yet, this goes directly in the face uh, of churches that have priests. Many times people say, uh, do you have priests in the Baptist church? And my first thought is, I like to answer, yeah, everybody is. Uh, every person who is saved has direct access to God. That's what a priest is. And, and that we believe in the priesthood of the believer. And 
By the way, if you want to study that out in history, only Baptists can claim to have that faith. That, that is not found in any other group. Uh, if you go back to uh, uh, before the modern history, uh, in the Middle Ages, only the Baptists, they were then called Anabaptists, believed that. Many of the other modern religions didn't simply did not exist as we know them today. And so, uh, as we look at history here, calling on the name of the Lord is being able to speak directly to the Lord. In the early 1500s, to repeat the Lord's Prayer in English brought a death sentence. Burned at the stake. How many of you knew that? In the early 1500s. That's, that's relatively modern history. To repeat the Lord's Prayer in the English language carried a capital sentence. Because the Church of England believed that only the priest had the right to talk to God, not you. And by the way, just repeating the Lord's Prayer is not praying, my friend. It's repeating the Lord's Prayer. Uh, If you want to pray, you might want to put your own heart and your own thought into those words because calling means to speak directly to. How many of you have received a phone call this week? from somebody that didn't mean to call you. Oh, uh, you're busy, you're doing things, all of a sudden the phone rings and you, you hit the button there. Oh, is Henrietta there? Uh, no Henrietta at this number. Uh, uh, actually, I'm 30 feet in the air working on the side of a building. Would you mind uh, calling the right number next time? Uh, that's that's not a pleasant thing. The only thing worse is when you get one of those robocalls. Uh, and it's like, do you know that your credit cards, I know all about my credit cards, and I'm not giving you any information. Do not give credit card information over the phone. You You're just asking for trouble there. But the Bible says, for whosoever shall call. Upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's, there's nothing mystical. Uh, the word that people like to use is erythrial. That means just kind of floating around. It is a direct conversation with God. Now, one of the things about calling someone is, why do you call someone? Because you expect them to pick up the phone and you want to talk to them. Right? Why would you call upon the name of the Lord and not expect to talk to Him? Well, it's because you never intended to call on Him anyway. We'll we'll deal with that. The Bible does deal with that. But I want us to... Keep in mind as we start today that calling upon the name of the Lord is not a one-time phone call 
But in the Bible, the biblical truth of calling it upon the name of the Lord is not only a direct conversation with, there also includes an expectation of receiving that which is asked for, and at the same time, in the Bible, when we call upon the Lord, it is talking about a lifelong relationship with God. It is not something that I call upon the name of the Lord today, and I call upon Dagon tomorrow, and Baal the next day, the other gods that are listed there in the Bible. When you called upon the name of the Lord, there was an exclusivity involved there that it was only the Lord that you were calling upon and would continue only to call upon the name of the Lord. Uh, we call that faith, trust. And before we, uh, as we start here, I want you to turn with me, if you would, to the book of Genesis as we search this. Calling on the name of the Lord is not a New Testament truth. Uh, sometimes the Jewish people would say, well, listen, this idea of calling on the name of the Lord, that, that is an innovation by you New Testament people. That's not in our Bible. Well, excuse me, Genesis chapter 4, verse 26 says, And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Well, that you can't get much earlier than Genesis chapter 4, only Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Amen? Uh, and I want you to just catch something here. Look with me at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, if you would. Genesis 3 is the story of the fall of man. Adam and Eve had already sinned against God and eaten of the fruit of the tree there. And we're actually hiding from God in verse 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Do you see the difference here? You see, in Genesis chapter 3, this was a matter of fact statement from what we understand and the best that we can know about the character of God, it was God's practice in the cool of the day, in the evening, as things were calming down and we were preparing for the next day, that the voice of God came walking in the garden. Isn't that an incredible picture? God himself did not walk in the garden because he was the creator of all things. He is bigger than the earth and bigger than the universe which he created. But his voice came walking in the garden to talk with Adam and Eve. And if we understand this correctly, and I believe we do, this was a common occurrence before the fall of man. That God spent time talking and communing with Adam and Eve. God was involved in that process as 
He brought to Adam every one of the animals that he had created. And Adam began to name them. And, and he's going through and he's seeing Mr. and Mrs. Lion and Mr. and Mrs. Elephant and Mr. and Mrs. Dog. And he doesn't see a Mrs. Adam anywhere. God's trying to get his attention. And God showed him and he brought Eve to him that God had someone special for him. And this went on. We do not know how long Adam and Eve lived in the garden before sin crept in. And by the way, don't listen to the nutcases out there who said, Oh, that's where the billions of years came in. No, it's not. We, I'll, I'll guarantee it wasn't billions of years. It, it was indefinite period of time Adam and Eve communed with God on a daily basis but after sin now man has to call upon the name of the Lord it's not that God doesn't want to hear you it's that and God does send his blessings read the Sermon on the Mount we just finished that on Sunday nights he sends his rain on the just and the unjust does he not? But I will tell you this, as a father, I want to do things for my children. I really do. But you know what makes it very pleasant for me to do things for my children? Is when they're communicating with me. And we can kind of work together on this thing. And they can enjoy, even if it's just simply walking down and getting a cup of coffee together. Uh, you know, it's, it's a pleasant thing when there's agreement there and when the conversation goes both ways and we can enjoy that time together. You see, God wants us to communicate with Him. But He wants us to do it of our own free will. That's what calling is all about. It says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. The first verse we read in Genesis chapter 4 tells us that after Seth had a son, and we have the descendants of Cain there, and of course there were no descendants from Abel. He was killed as far as we understand before he had a chance to have any descendants. We now have the descendants of Seth calling upon the name of the Lord. I want you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. And I, as I was looking forward to this message, I was looking forward to covering this story because I, I love this story. This is Elijah on Mount Carmel with all the prophets of Baal. And, and uh, verse 24 of chapter 18 kind of sums this thing up. He says... And ye call upon the name of your gods, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. Now, you have to read the entire story here, but God had been hiding Elijah for three and a half years. Ahab had sent to every kingdom in the area 
And the Bible says that he took an oath of the kingdom. I mean, he wanted a, a, a legally binding contract that you're not hiding this Elijah guy because I want him. And, of course, Ahab didn't want to call upon Elijah. He wanted to kill Elijah. And when Ahab met him, I, I love the story there. Ahab says, Thou art he that troubleth Israel. And I love Elijah. Because he stuck his old finger right back in the king's face and he said, Nah, it's you and your wickedness and your disobedience to God that has brought this trouble. And he says, You go get all your wife's prophets and bring them up to Mount Carmel and, and gather Israel. God will send rain. Well, Ahab was willing to do anything to get rain because people were dying. The animals were dying. The land was dying. And so he got everybody up there, and here was Elijah's challenge. He said, you call upon the name of your gods, and I'll call upon the name of my gods. First, you set up an altar, and I'll set up an altar. You put a sacrifice on that altar that's acceptable to your god, and I'll put a sacrifice on my altar that's acceptable to the God of Israel. And you call upon your gods. And you go through the story there, and it's hilarious. Because there were many of them. He said, you guys go first. And he's sitting there going, okay, you're all ready. And they start. Oh, Baal, hear us. Nothing happens. And they start getting a little more animated and excited. And Elijah Somebody said, or they're Baptist in the Old Testament. Elijah comes about as close as you can get. Because he's standing there going, Hey guys, psst, psst. Maybe, maybe you need to talk a little louder. Maybe your God's asleep and needs to be woke up. I mean, I just love that. Hey, you better hope he's not on vacation today because somebody better show up. See you later, guys. And they're dancing on the altar and putting themselves up there and saying, Baal, if you accept me, I offer myself as a sacrifice. And of course, nothing. And about the time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah rolls 12 stones into place. No tool had touched them. He kills the bullock and lays the animal's parts there on the wood. And then ask them to pour water over top of it. Until the trench around the altar is filled with water and everything is dripping wet. Now, do you think Elijah had sat down and said, Now how can I really show God is God? How can I do this? Let, let me figure something out here. Lord, I got it. I'm going to call upon your name and you're going to send fire and you're going to burn up that dripping altar of water. And, and do you, How many of you think it happened that way? You did, you're in the wrong church. Because God does not perform things at our direction. He asks us to do things at His direction. You see, when you call upon the name of the Lord, 
we have a biblical right to expect God to behave according to His direction and His Word. Can we say amen to that? Elijah was there because God told him to be there. Elijah was doing what he did because God told him what to do. Elijah had confidence that when he called upon the name of the Lord, that the Lord was going to do something. And the Lord did. Fire came down, burned up the sacrifice, and the wood under the sacrifice, and the stones under the sacrifice, and all the water that was in the trench, and the dirt that was under everything. There was nothing but a big hole. I mean, it looked like somebody dropped a bomb on that thing. Only there weren't little parts of everything scattered all around. It was just all gone. It was consumed. And the people said, The Lord, He is God. Duh. Isn't that what this whole book was about? Isn't that why they were called the children of Israel? This was not an amazing thing. But they had stopped calling upon the name of the Lord themselves. And God gave them an incredible physical show of who he was. Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5 and we'll find that Elijah's servant, Elijah's assistant, Elisha was now in charge and and. Naaman was the captain of the Syrians, and Naaman was a leper. And he had a little Israel Jewish girl that he had captured and brought back, and for some reason she had gotten his attention as as this little girl taken from her family and parents carried into a strange land, and she had become his wife's personal servant or slave. And apparently, they were very good to this young little girl. But she had faith in the God of Israel, did she not? And when she began to see and understand that Naaman was dying of this dreaded disease called leprosy, she went to her mistress, she went to her her master, the person that owned her, Naaman's wife, and she said, Oh, if we could just get Naaman... To the prophet in Israel, he's got the power of God to heal Naaman from his leprosy and make him well again. How many of you remember the story? That's why you need to be here in Sunday school, to get the stories. And so all of a sudden, the captain of the Syrian army shows up in Samaria with a great entourage and gifts and all kinds of things and a letter from the king of Syria saying... I've sent the general of my army who's destroyed you and won many battles for you to heal him of his leprosy. And the king of Israel is going, my God? Why? Hey, he's just looking for a place to fight. He's looking for an occasion to attack us. And Elisha sends him a letter and says, you send him to me because there is a God in Israel. But look at verse 11, chapter 5, verse 11. Because Elijah sent his servant out and said, Go take a bath seven times in the Jordan River. 
washed seven times. Look at, look at Naaman's response. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. You see, Naaman understood something. Calling on the name of the Lord was expectation of seeing God's power and God working. You you didn't just say, Oh, Lord, I've got a hangnail. Help me here. Uh, it, it was an expectation of power. And Naaman was, was angry because he was just told to go to the Jordan River and take a bath seven times, dip himself in the water. And he said, surely he would call on the name of the Lord his God. We'd see some great thing. You know, God was trying to teach Naaman a few things too. It was no great miracle to recover Naaman of his leprosy from the God of heaven. That was not a great expenditure of power. That that was not a display that needed to be made. You see, the faith is in the God upon which we call, not in the miracles or the phenomena that attends. Can we say amen to that? We have a whole world in which people are trying to produce or expect phenomena. Now, what I mean by phenomena is all of these different signs and wonders. Someone says, why? Do you believe in the Holy Ghost? I always know what's coming next. Absolutely, I believe in the Holy Ghost of God. But I'm not going to speak in tongues. Oh, that's the gift. That's the proof. No, that's not the proof. This is the proof. This is the proof. How many of you know that Buddhists speak in tongues regularly and have all through their centuries? Many, many cults and other things have had what a very similar experience that have nothing to do with the God of the Bible. If you want proof, all you need is the words of this book called the Bible. Yeah, God did send tongues in Acts chapter 2. He did send tongues in Acts chapter 10. They were real languages spoken by real people that were truly understood by the people that were there. They proved to the Jewish people that the prophecy in Joel, which was, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We'll get there in just a minute. Once you prove something... What do you gain by proving it over and over again except to demean the truth? Always be careful when you meet someone and they say, Well, listen, I, I, you know, I, I swear to you on a stack of Bibles, I'm telling the truth. You know what I know? As soon as I meet somebody that says that, I'm meeting someone who is accustomed to lying. And because they have to do something to prove that they're telling the truth. 
uh, someone who always tells the truth doesn't go around saying, well, my name is Honest Pete Montoro. You can trust me. Uh, listen, I don't do that. I don't need to. Because if I'm telling you what the Bible says, it's not about me. It's about Him. Amen? And so, we find here that just calling upon the name of the Lord is not some magical formula. It's not a mystical statement. It's not something that is innovative or new in the Bible. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 48 uh, just quickly here as we move on toward the New Testament. And in Isaiah, the prophet here is condemning Israel because they did this very thing that Naaman was guilty of. And you know, we can forgive Naaman, because Naaman was a Syrian. He did not know the God of the Bible. And and God was gracious to Naaman, and I believe that we'll see Naaman on the right side of eternity. Because when he left Elijah, he asked for a load of dirt. And he said, I will not worship any God but the God of Israel. And he understood the altar of Israel was an altar of earth. It was just a pile of dirt. And you put your sacrifices on there. Or stones that had not been touched. And so Naaman said, I'm going to worship God. So I hope and I believe that we'll see Naaman on the right side of eternity. But look with me in verse 1 of chapter 48. Hear ye this, O house of Jacob, which are called by the name of Israel, and are come forth out of the waters of Judah which swear by the name of the Lord and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth, nor in righteousness. We, we have to say this. You can call on the name of the Lord and not be sincere and not be honest. And you hear the Lord's name everywhere. What is the first thing that happens when something bad goes wrong? They got a microphone there from the news media and somebody's going, Oh my God! Don't do that! Number one, it's not God's fault. And number two, how would you feel if Somebody came home and came into your house and saw a big mess and said, Oh, Pastor Pete, look at what you did. I didn't do it. I found it. But we're going to clean it up, right? Don't blame God for everything. And don't treat God as an abbreviated prayer. If you're going to pray, call him by his name. Take time to address the issues and talk... Why would you call on him in that way? I mean, when something bad is going on in our house and I know who did it, there may be Philip or Stephen. Hey, you. That means everybody comes. No. Um, But are you going to treat God like that? I would hope not. 
if you're going to call on him, you've got to do it out of righteousness. You've got to call upon him. Respect. He is the creator. He is our God and the only true God. Let, let's be careful how we call upon him. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 116. Psalm 116. And I wish we had time this morning to, to go through every verse of this psalm, but then we would move past the subject here. Uh, uh, look at, uh, just let me start reading. Psalm 116, verse 1. I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. Because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. The sorrows of death can pass me, and the pains of hell get hold on me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then called I upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Stop right there. That's really the first time he says he called upon the name of the Lord. He says, I'm going to call upon thy name every day. He says, as long as I live, actually. And, and what the psalmist is telling, me, telling us here is he called upon the name of the Lord when he was at the end of his ability. This is salvation. How many of you remember when you finally understood what hell was and that you were headed there? Does that sound like sorrows of death can pass me? It should. If you understand anything about what the Bible says about hell, you, you would understand the sorrows of death. That's, that is a light thing. It says, the pains of hell get hold on me. Some people need to understand that hell is a real place. The fires are forever. One, one bright person asked many years ago, well, if hell is a place of darkness, how can it be on fire? Because fire always gives light. How many of you know the answer already? They found that the hottest fire that burns... When salt catches on fire, it gives no light. But it burns at over 10,000 degrees. In fact, it'll suck the oxygen out of the mine and kill everyone in it before you have a chance to put your respirator on. I know because I talked to men that worked in the salt mines in Cleveland and it was, that, that was the number one fear. You see, God wasn't playing games when he talked about this. And the psalmist said, I understand what awaits me. And I called upon the name of the Lord and I asked him to deliver my soul. Now look what he says here. Verse 5, gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful the Lord preserveth the simple I was brought low, and he helped me. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with you. Does that sound like this psalmist knew that he was saved and had assurance that God had heard him and saved his soul? I'll tell you what, it surely does to me. For thou, Verse 8, For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, 
Therefore have I spoken. That's why I called upon the name of the Lord. I was greatly afflicted. And I said in my haste, all men are liars. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? Verse 13, I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. You see, in verse 3, he called upon the name of the Lord because he feared for the loss of his soul when he was saved. Now he calls upon the name of the Lord. He says, I'm going to take that cup of salvation. I know I'm saved. But now I'm going to call upon the name of the Lord so I can live for him each day. Amen? Remember, this was written a thousand years before Jesus was born. It says, I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am thy servant. I am thy servant and the son of thine handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all His people in the courts of the Lord's house. In the midst of thee, O Jerusalem, praise ye the Lord. In verse 17, he uses that phrase, call upon the name of the Lord one more time. He says, I'm going to give you the sacrifices of thanksgiving. Does that sound like worship to you? certainly does to me. And by the way, the psalmist wasn't worshiping by himself, was he? He said in the temple, in, the, in Jerusalem, where, where God put his altar. And we understand today that God has given us a place to worship him. It's called church. It's important. No, church doesn't give you salvation. Praise God, it can't take it away. You get that by calling on the name of the Lord. Amen? But if you're going to live for God, you're going to have to pray on your own. You're going to have to obey what the Bible says. But if you're going to worship Him, guess what? You can do that together, God's way. That's why we sing the songs that we sing. Calling on the name of the Lord. Oh, happy day that fixed my choice on Thee, my Savior and my God. You see, calling on the name of the Lord isn't something new. Knowing that you're saved isn't something new. The person who wrote this psalm, though it's unsigned, gave as good a testimony of eternal security as you will find anywhere in the Scriptures. Because, you see, calling on the name of the Lord is not just saying... I acknowledge you exist. Read James chapter 1. The devil does. But he's not going to be in heaven. The devil's smart enough to know there's a God. Calling on the name of the Lord is walking in communication with God each and every day. Now, let's just look at a couple more verses here. Acts chapter 2, verse 21 Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. And he is telling them 
He says, uh, verse seven, uh, verse sixteen. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith the Lord, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. In verse 21, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's how simple it is. But calling on the name of the Lord and asking for salvation, as we have already read and studied, is more than just a simple mental assent. It is a relationship. It is understanding that I have a right to expect God to answer that request positively or give those things that I ask Him for. That's the problem with most of our prayers. Oh, dear God, you know I need a new Cadillac. No, you don't. You couldn't afford the insurance. I mean, come on. And by the way, what would you do when the first person scratches it? You're going to sin. That's why God hadn't given you one in the first place, right? Uh, So you don't have to worry about all those things. But I call on His name to be saved, but I call on His name to live for Him. I call on His name to worship Him. And one of these days I'll be there in heaven. Read Revelation 4 and 5. In James chapter 5, it tells us that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And it tells us if someone's sick and is having problems with sin in their life, physical sickness and spiritual sickness, what is he supposed to do? He's supposed to call for the elders... Uh, What's that word? Kind of looking for it. Help me out here. What? What? The elders of what? You know the passage? Say it out loud. Well, three people said it. How about the rest of you? The elders of the church. You see, calling on the name of the Lord is not an individual. You have to do it individually. But if you call upon His name you're going to be walking together with others who call upon His name. God doesn't leave you alone. He wants us to serve Him corporately. He wants us to walk with Him. He wants us to communicate with Him each and every day. Calling on the Lord is not a one-time thing, though. That's how you get saved. You don't call on the Lord every day and ask Him over and over and over and over and over again for your salvation. That's not faith. Faith is letting Him do the saving work. But see, saving you isn't all that God's interested in. He wants you to walk with Him each and every day. He wants you to worship Him in His church among other people that call upon the name of the Lord. You see, calling on the name of the Lord is opening an eternal connection of communication between me and the God of heaven. How does God speak to me? Very clearly. Through the written word. 
I don't need to hear voices or have premonitions or feelings. I, I don't need to think, well, which would be the best? All I need to do is read this book. It's worked for over 41 years in my life. Because God wants us to call upon Him. He wants us to communicate with Him. That's why He gave us this book called the Bible, so we could know what He said. So it wouldn't be, well, I feel. But, you know, I feel. My idea of truth is, God has not left His truth to human nature and human perception. He has put it down in an objective form so that all of us, may come to the exact same conclusion, not by being brainwashed by some preacher, but by reading the simple words of God. And we can call upon His name and know that He'll save our souls. We can call upon His name and know that He'll give us direction to live. We can call upon His name and worship Him together. By the way, that's what we'll be doing in heaven. Amen? The question is, do you remember that day when you called upon the name of the Lord and He saved you? If you don't, you need to get that fixed. Because that's where salvation starts. You say, but I do that every day. Wrong. That's not faith. If my children came to me every day and said, Daddy, will you please feed me breakfast? Daddy, will you please feed me lunch? I said, you stop doing that when you learn to talk. Don't you have an expectation of food? I mean, uh, there, there's not a problem here. What you're doing is you're accusing me of not caring for you. And that's what a lot of people do with God. I mean, we could go on and on. Time is done. But I want you to understand something. When we call upon God according to His Word, He loves to hear that prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Amen? That's how it starts. It says He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. God's ear is always open to our prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I've broken your word. Because he wants that relationship to be restored. He wants us to call on him each and every day and walk with him in in communion. Get the word out. You see, that's what that verse where two or three are gathered in my name. Read the context. That's not talking about some Bible study in a home. It's talking about church. Read the context. It's there. He wants us to sing songs here. He wants us to worship Him. You know why we have an invitation at the the end of the preaching time? It's because God wants to hear the prayers of His children saying, I am responding in agreement with your word. That's calling on the name of the Lord. Now we're going to have a short prayer and then there's going to be a time for you to do exactly that. That's what this altar's for. I've had some people say, Pastor, if I walked in the doors, the building would fall down. 
That, no. That's just pride. You're not that bad of a sinner. I don't care what you've done. Because Jesus is that great of a Savior. I don't have to worry about what you've done because I already know what He's done. Would you call upon the name of the Lord to be saved? Would you call upon the name of the Lord to walk with Him through this week? Sometimes, all the time, it's good just to come and call upon the name of the Lord and say, Thank you, Lord, for being so good to me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, my prayer is that every soul in this auditorium would first call upon the name of the Lord in salvation. And Lord, that we would walk with you each and every day. And that we would allow the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin. And we would willingly bring that sin to you and confess it. That we may have the type of communication that you would want. Lord, that we would be able to come freely to an old-fashioned church altar and just get on our knees and say, Thank you, Lord, for being so good. I will pay my vows by your grace. I'll obey your word till you come for us. Lord, may we echo the words of the psalmist. I will call upon his name as long as I live. It is in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Let's stand together as Andrew comes and leads us in the hymn of invitation. If you're here today and you're saved and you need to come and pray, the altar's open. Let's not be long. If you're not saved, would you allow us to open the Bible and show you how you may know your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. As we sing. God's people said, Amen.
Amen. You may be seated. And for some reason, you just could not step out during the time of public invitation. We want you to know the time of private invitation is never closed at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. If it were at all possible, we'll take the Bible and help you understand the answer to those problems. And that you may walk with the Lord. If we could have our men come at this point to receive this morning's offering, let us give as unto the Lord. 